This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Church from Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit our website at faithchurchlubbock.com. Glad you made it today. If you need a Bible, I want you to raise your hand or ushers will put the Word of God in your hand, which should be a treat to be able to put the Word of God in your hand. I don't think we realize at times the significance of the Bible, but I encourage you to ask the Lord to grace you where you fall in love with the Word of God. And I say this quite often, you get into the Word and God will get into you. And when God gets on the inside of you, get ready because things start happening on the outside and there's a huge change in your life. So we begin here our second week on the, the sermon series title called Called. And I ask you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians two, and as you're turning there, any, any time in our lives that we operate outside of God's word in our lives, you're gonna suffer the consequences of, of ruling your own life. And what I mean by that, if I'm not living by the word of God, then what is the direction of the guidelines that you have And so what ultimately happens is you become full of yourself. And I begin to live by my standards and and my goals instead of God's. And man, it's not good for any one of us to be that way. So we go to Ephesians chapter two today. And I've wrestled for several days with this because verses one through 10 are just so impacting. And so every time I'd begin to study that, I'd say, okay, which, which one of these verses can I jump over and which verse do I highlight? And I just got stuck in this. And so you're gonna get into a, a teacher's mode here today because we're gonna read all, all 10 verses of this. So we begin in, in Ephesians chapter two, verse one. And I'm telling you right now, the Bible's gonna come alive to you today. You're gonna see some things in this passage. Verse one, and you he made alive. And you he made alive. Now, this is the Apostle Paul talking. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. So, it's like the Apostle Paul here. He he starts with a coroner's report. And everybody outside of, of Jesus is spiritually dead. Every one of us. Which literally means we're, we're separated from God. And the graveyard that we all get to live in is this place called trespasses and sins. And if you notice the word there, they're both plural. My trespasses literally means that I've gone somewhere that God didn't tell me to go. And when we get over sins, that's doing the things that doesn't please God or we miss God's mark. So he starts out with something really, really interesting. And then in verses two or three, and I'm gonna highlight this before I get there, he actually talks about the three locks that are on the coffin that literally will keep people in a state of trespasses and sins. So we go to verse two. In which you once walked according to the course of this world. You allowed the world to tell you how to live the customs of the world, the values of the world, even the religions of the world. And it's interesting, he said, in which you walked according to the course of this world. So 
just jumping off that real quickly, and if you're a note taker, this is 1 John 2, 16, that it says that all that is in the world, the very makeup of the world, is the lust of my flesh, the appetites and desires of my flesh, the lust of my eyes, which literally has to do with covetousness and the pride of life, which is really the pride of one's possessions or the pride of one's accomplishment. And so he begins to get into this and, and he's talking to us and he said, this is the only way you know how to live by the things of the world. The first key. The second one he says, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So this statement right here, the prince of the power of the air, that's literally talking about Satan. That, that's, that's the devil who is the ruler over this place called the earth right now. And so what he's talking about here is whether you realize this or not, you fall under the authority of, of the devil. And it's interesting that he ends this and he says, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Disobedient to who? I, I become disobedient to God. And so again, the title for Satan here is, is he moves and he influences globally right here within each culture. And so I, I just want to highlight this just real quickly. Many people in our society right now, they kind of look at the devil as a fictional character. They, they kind of view the devil as this Hollywood personality that walks around with a pitchfork with some horns on his head and he, he pokes people in the rump with it. But when I, I study about the devil, this is all 1 Peter 5, 8, it says that your adversary, you have an adversary, you do. And it says your adversary, the devil, he's not your friend, okay? And the Bible says that he walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And that's his gold in your life. But if you ever want to see the mission statement of the devil, it's all John 10, 10. And it says the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. In other words, he wants to rip you off in every area of your life. So he's talking about this, that as long as I'm separated to God, then the devil is the one that's ruling over me, that whether I like that or know that or not. Verse three, among whom also we all, woohoo, we all, it kind of sounds like West Texas, we all, you know what that means? None of us are exempt from this, okay? We all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. If you haven't given Jesus your heart and made him Lord of your life, you are dominated by the lust of your flesh. 
the appetites and the desires of my flesh. But he didn't just stop there and he goes on to say, and the desires of the flesh and the desires of my mind. So we're dominated by this thing we call the self-life. And we live by whatever the cravings of my flesh were or the cravings of my mind. Now, that was every one of us. And, and I can rewind in my life and I can go back and I can look before I gave Jesus my heart. I was dominated by the cravings of my flesh. I was dominated by the cravings of my mind. And it's interesting that he highlights every bit of this. And so he's given us a picture here of these three, these three keys. And he ends in this and he says, and we're by nature children of wrath or children under wrath, subject to God's wrath, just as the others. So when I see the word, we, we were children of wrath and, and it was within our nature. You know what's in your nature? It's almost like we, we just get in this flow and this pattern and we don't know any different. That's all we know is to be dominated by our flesh and be dominated by the thoughts of our mind. And so when I look at everything he's talking about, you, you can be pretty, you can be educated, you can be rich, and there's nothing wrong with those things except if you're alienated from God. Unless God's part of your life. And so what I'm saying here is we look to everything in this life to make us happy, but God. And ultimately, every one of us, we run into what I call a dead end. And we get to a place in life where you look at your life and you say, there's got to be more to than how I'm living. There, there's got to be more than me just being here 50, 60, 70, 80 years of my life and it's over. And so he gets us to this place in our life and when I, I read this, you, you can't make a good omelet out of a bad egg. This is not gonna happen. And so every one of us in here God desires a change for each one of us. And his change for us is not outwardly. It's not cosmetically. It's not that I need a facelift. It's not that I need a tummy, a tummy tuck. Man, I, I need something to change my nature. Now, keep reading. Verse four. But God. Woo. Man, I'm telling you right there. Paul, Paul gives two words that change everything. But God. And, and when God steps into the equation of your life, watch what takes place. But God who was rich in mercy. He was rich in compassion. Because of his great love with which he loved us. That's huge right there. Man, I got to soak in that just a minute. He's rich in grace. And if you notice the word, he didn't say just, just average. He said rich in grace and his great love. 
His great love, and that was on display to humanity. And you know, in John 3, 16, he said, for God so loved the world. He didn't love this, this planet called the world. He loved the people of the world. And so he's speaking to me and you. And then in verse five, he says, even when we were dead in trespasses, even when life didn't make any sense, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. You know what that literally means? God intervened. And God knew every one of us as human beings, our only hope that was we needed a savior. And so it says something here that's incredible. By grace, you've been saved. Not by good works. Not by how important or significant you think you are. Not by doing a hundred Hail Marys. But I've been saved by grace. Undeserved. Unearned. It cannot be repaid. I wish I could sing. I'd sing Amazing Grace to you. But you may backslid when I sing, so we're not going to do that. Verse six, and he raised us up together and he made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm gonna give you a little homework assignment. If you just went through the, the book of Ephesians, but actually if you went through the epistles and you went 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and into the Thessalonians and Timothy, you would see this little phrase numerous times and it says, in Christ. In Christ. So this week in your reading, just read the book of Ephesians and mark down how many times it says, in Christ. And everything that it says in Christ that is written to me and you. And so the things that he says in Christ, those things are what become my identity. I am who he says I am because I'm in Christ. Now, if we really highlighted verses five and six, he gives these three togethers. The first one in verse five, he said, he made us alive together with Christ. Then in verse six, it said, he raised us up together with Christ. And then in verse seven, or in the end of verse six, he said, we've been made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So every one of those tells us the things Jesus did for us. Every one of them has nuggets. But the third one always gets my attention. We're made to sit together in heavenly places. You know what that means? Right now, the Lord Jesus, according to the scriptures, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And you know what he's doing? He's making intercession for me and you. He's pleading on our behalf. You know why he's sitting at the right hand of the Father? Because you don't sit down until the job's finished and Jesus finished the job. He did it completely. He did every bit of it completely for me and you. So you're beginning to get just a little bit of a glimpse why we, we've got to go through all 10 of these verses. So now we get to verse seven. That in the ages to come, 
he might show the exceeding riches of his grace, not just his grace and not just the riches of his grace, but it specifically says the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us that are in Christ Jesus. So not only does he want to grace us, but he wants to show us kindness. Now, you know what this verse says to me? You hadn't seen nothing yet. You hadn't seen nothing yet. When God's kindness and God's grace starts working in your life, you kick back and you think, oh my goodness, God has been so, so, so good to me. God has been good to me. I've seen his kindness in my life. Now we get to verse eight, and this is one of those verses that I believe is called a hallmark verse. This is a verse that, man, you gotta get on the inside of you. For by grace, you've been saved. For by grace, you've been saved. You can't earn it. You can't pay for it. For by grace, you've been saved. So how does that look? Through faith. Through faith. So grace is available by faith. What, what would faith be? That, that I believe, I trust. Actually, faith is believing that God will do what he said he'll do. And so the way I get a hold of this grace is only by faith. It's not by my works. And so he says, you've been saved by grace through faith. That is not of yourself. It's the gift of God. It's the gift of God. Now we gotta get this. We gotta really let this soak in today, okay? If it's a gift, what do you do with a gift? If, if I was to offer Evan a gift today and I would say, I got you a gift, you know what he would do? He would just receive it. He wouldn't say, how much do I owe you? He, he would just say, let, 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 let me just receive it. I just, I, I receive it and so I can't buy it. But listen real quick. When it's a gift that I receive, even though I can't buy it and I can't earn it, I sure can give thanks and I sure can give praise for it. I sure can. Woo, thank you, Lord Jesus, I'm saved. Thank you, Lord. I praise you today, Lord Jesus. I believe it's significant that we voice our appreciation our appreciation to what the Lord did for, did for us. Verse nine. Not of works. It's the not the result of works. It's not based on how good you've been. Woo, I hadn't told a lie for 24 hours. Well, good, but that's not what saved you. Well, I hadn't cussed for, for 30 minutes. Well, good. But that's not what saved you. And he says here that it's not of works, lest anyone should boast. In other words, he doesn't want us strutting around like a rooster acting like, look what we did. Verse 10. We made it. For we are his workmanship. Created, what does it say? I'm created in Christ Jesus. 
I'm created in Christ Jesus. You know what this literally means? I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Behold, old things have passed away. All things have become new. So when I become a new creature in Christ Jesus, you know what that literally means? He's changing my nature. Something's happening. And he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So when I look at this right here, literally before our conversion, your life and my life had no rhythm or had no reason. But giving my heart to Jesus brings balance and order. And so right here he says, we become God's poem. That word workmanship means poem. It means poetry. But you know what the best one means? You're his masterpiece. Literally in translations, it says you are his masterpiece. What am I his masterpiece for? Keep reading. For good works. For good works. I'm not saved by good works, but I was saved for good works. What are my good works? That I become kingdom minded. That people begin to look and say, there's something different about him. There's something different about her. And God wants to use us to influence the other people of the world. And so he said, you were saved for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. You should walk in them. So you know what this tells me? God didn't just save me to go to heaven. God saved me because he's got a calling on my life and your life. So I don't know if you've realized this or not, but you're a masterpiece. You weren't created on assembly line. You, you weren't created or thrown together just. You're not an off the rack you're, you're custom made, he's what he's talking about. There's, there's only one of you. You know, I'm not, a, I'm not a collector of baseball cards, but when you ever watch someone that collects baseball cards, I, I saw one recently that they said this one baseball card was so rare and valuable that it went for a million dollars. You're one in a million. You may not realize this right now, but God's got a baseball picture with you on it. God's got your picture on his refrigerator. Some of you not me. Yeah, you are. When you become in Christ Jesus, I'm telling you, God knows specifically and precisely that you become this masterpiece in his eyes. This is his desire for every one of us. God does the making and God does the saving. And you're that masterpiece. But I gotta give my heart to Jesus. That's what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3. He said, you must be born again. That's the starting point. Now I want you to go with me way back into the Old Testament. Actually, the first part of the Old Testament, way back to your left. 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Ooh, get ready, okay? God's getting ready to move. In Jesus. 
in Christ Jesus. You know, as you're turning to first Samuel, just a good God thought for you here real quick. In um, Acts 17, 28, it says, in him, in him, in the Lord Jesus, in him I live and move and have my being. In him, he becomes ever part of my life. In him, I'm, I'm in him. Now, we go to 1 Samuel chapter 16, and the Lord, he's, he's in need of a man. He's in need of a person that the nation of Israel is in a mess. It's in a, it's in a royal mess. And so he says, to, he says to the man of God named Samuel, he said, Samuel, I'm going to send you to Bethlehem to a guy named Jesse's house. And he said, I'm going to pick out one of his sons that he's going to be the next king. I've selected him. In other words, God's saying, he's on my radar. He's on my radar. Now, this guy named Jesse's a real interesting soul because if you go back way back in the Old Testament, there was a, a man named Boaz. Boaz married a Moabite named Ruth. They had a son named Obed. Obed had a son named Jesse the Bethlehemite, and Jesse the Bethlehemite had a son named King David. So we're just tying some knots here together. So Samuel goes to Bethlehem, and he puts on this great feast, and he tells Jesse, bring all your sons, okay? So we pick up 1 Samuel 16, verse 6. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab, and Eliab was the oldest. And he said, surely the Lord's anointed is upon him. You know what he's saying here? Samuel says, that's got to be God's boy right there. He's impressive. He's handsome. He's big. He has all the, the credentials in man's eyes that you would want. Verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I've refused him. I've rejected him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For the man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the very center or the vital part of human beings. He looks at the heart. Again, man, man looks at the outward, but you know what God looks at? God looks at things with inside a human being, his character, his integrity, his honesty, the things that he does when nobody else is looking. And so it's, it's real clear here. God looks on the inside and this search that God was on way back then, God's still on that search to this day. He still looks for men and women that have a heart for him. So let me paraphrase here just a second. So he's got seven sons. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Every time Samuel sees one, he goes, nope, 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 nope. None of them. But he gets hung up on something. He knew back in verse one that God said, go to his house because I got a boy. One of his boys is mine. So he knew that God had already told him. Verse 11. 
And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. I want you to note the words. There he is, the youngest. The message says, he's the runt. And there he is keeping sheep. In other words, Jesse says, he's just keeping the sheep. In other words, he's implying he's pretty insignificant. Now, the reason I begin to read into it with those words that I just said is because when Samuel came into Bethlehem, he told Jesse, he said, bring your sons to the feast. All his sons came to the feast, but this one who's keeping the sheep, he wasn't invited to the, she- uh, to the feast. You know why I believe this? Because Jesse didn't view him as a masterpiece. Jesse didn't see his potential. He's just keeping the sheep. Now, just maybe, just maybe, maybe perhaps today, You had a father or you had a mother that didn't view you as a masterpiece. And let me highlight this. Just because you may not have a mother or father that viewed you as a masterpiece, it doesn't override what God says. It doesn't eliminate you from what God says, it doesn't disqualify you from God's purpose. So Samuel said to Jesse, sing and bring him for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, he was warlike with bright eyes. He had a twinkle in his eyes. He kind of had that mischievous look, I believe. And he was good looking, and the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Uh Uh-oh. Anointing. That word anointing literally means that they would rub oil on them to consecrate them to something. And so when it talks about the anointing on them, this was the special uh, touch of God. I like to call the anointing The secret sauce of God. Because the secret sauce of God, it sets people apart for God's surface. So he begins to anoint him. Now watch this. Verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed him in the midst of his brothers. You got to picture this. They stroll him in from keeping the sheep and he anoints him right there in the midst of his brothers and his dad. They all see this. And and they're watching this anointing on him, this oil, and, and it's physically, they see the external things happening. They're watching this with their own eyes. Isn't it incredible how God begins to work in this? And then he says, and... 
And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And so they didn't see what was taking place in David internally. They saw the oil externally. But internally, God was doing something within his heart. And so when God puts the Holy Spirit within you, not only is he a man after God's own heart, but God makes you a thousand times bigger on the inside than you are on the outside. And so his brothers and his dad are watching this. And it's interesting. He anoints him with oil and he gets filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 10.38 says this, and God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went about doing good and healing all those that were oppressed of the devil. When God anoints us and we get filled with the Holy Spirit, I don't care who you are, everything changes. So I want you to think about this just here a second. At this point in David's life, He's the anointed king. He's not the king. He, he's the anointed king, which means he has started on the path to his destiny and his calling. He is a work in progress. But what happens right here, the call that God had put on his life was not yet developed in his identity. And that happens with every one of us. You may have something stirring with you in a call, but that call has to be developed. And you know what that means? You're gonna have to fight some Goliaths. And you're gonna face some persecutions. And there's gonna come some things that happen in your life to prepare you for the call. So we go back in review to Romans 8, 28 and 29 last week. And God causes all things together to work for good to who? To those who love him and to those who are called according to his purpose. And then in Romans 8, 29, the apostle Paul says, we need to be conformed to the image of Jesus. I believe this is what's taking place with David. There's a time in our life that we become conformed to the image of Jesus. Now, this is where I'm going with this this morning. I can't allow other people's view of me to override God's call on me that you're a masterpiece. Regardless how other people view you, it doesn't change how God views you. And so what happens with us in this thing called life? Many times the way people view us and the things they've said about us, they impact us. Do you know why they say the number one reason most people or most children fail? It's because of the words that are spoken over them. And so just right here, has something been buried in the basement of your heart? that today you need to get rid of. And what I'm talking about here is this thing called the classroom of responsibility. 
Yes, every one of us in here have been hurt and every one of us get wounded, but I cannot allow someone else to take the blame for everything in my life. And if I live that way, I ultimately never walk in the calling or my destiny. And so it's like this invisible umbilical cord that feeds my today with all the hurts and my rejections of yesterday. But the experiences of my life don't have to stop the call or the destiny. But I can't go through this life limping and I can't go through this life blaming other people. I'm not denying that maybe someone hurt you. You remember the old saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me? Whoever said that was delusional, okay? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will break my heart. Words will, will, will stop me. And just maybe today, you need to clean the heart of your basement out. Do you hold unforgiveness? And it'll stop you. I look at King David. I, I never see where he picked up a sword against his his dad. He just kept living for God. And so maybe that's you here today. See, just because of a word of a parent, has it paralyzed you? Have, have you hit that dead end? Have you hit that wall? And I say today, that's why we read all, all Ephesians 2. You're a masterpiece. That who I am in Christ Jesus, it overrides those words that were spoken against me or spoken toward me. You'll never amount to nothing except when Jesus comes into your life. You'll always be a failure until Jesus comes into your life. You'll, you'll never amount to, you'll be a sorry daddy. You'll be a, until Jesus comes into your life. And so Jesus wants us to get all, I'm a masterpiece because he made me a masterpiece. Why don't you stand up here with me today? Wow. See, David had to live past the opinions of his father. And he began to live what Samuel spoke to him and said, you're the anointed next king. Would you bow your head with me right here? I, I don't speak on this to shame anybody, okay? We speak on this because many times in our life, we, we get in these cycles. And it could be by the word that was spoken, the opinion. And it literally tries to stunt our spiritual growth. And so if you're here today, 
not to shame you, not at all. Because every one of us, I mean, we go back, we were all, man, we were all dead in sins and trespasses. But what would happen today if we said, you know what? I'm gonna release those today. I'm gonna bring them to this altar and I'm gonna lay them at the feet of Jesus. My hurts, my pains, my wounds. And Father God, I'm gonna open the filing cabinet up of my heart to you. And I'm gonna ask you just the same way you graced me in salvation, that you would grace me to forgive today. And so that's how we're gonna start. If that's you today, right now, man, I welcome you. I welcome you. Just come on down that Jesus loves you. God loves you. We're not here to beat people up. I'm telling you, God's wanting to do something. He's wanting to put this masterpiece into motion. Thank you, ladies. Anybody else? Thank you. Well, I guess all the men in here are good to go. We're just going to allow God to move here just for a minute. Go ahead, guys, and sing just a little bit. Thank you once again for joining us on this podcast. To check out more services from Faith Church, you can find our live broadcast on YouTube or check out our website at faithchurchlubbock.com for more information on upcoming events, how to give, and how you can get involved.